Go to everydaynovelist.com slash support to join the madness. <laughs> Welcome to the Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 965. Today we hear from Nicole, who asks, What's up with DC? Why can't they compete effectively with Marvel? I had been a DC fan with the exception of X-Men, but the Avengers won me over. Henry Cavill was magic and man from uncle, but I think he makes a poor Superman, except for when he was evil Superman. Then again, evil Superman didn't say much, so maybe it's more a dialogue issue. <laughs> um, the thing with uh, DC versus Marvel in film world is that through the 80s, DC was the, and actually through the 90s, DC was the only game in town. There were no good Marvel movies. Uh, the Marvel movies are a recent phenomenon. The earlier attempts at Marvel movies basically sucked. When DC was doing well, they were in a partnership, as I think they still are, with Warner Brothers. And Warner yes, Brothers, they still are. at the time, had a really, really smart set of producers who knew how to farm out projects to top-tier talent in terms of writing and directing and whatnot. Um, at least in their film division, they totally screwed the pooch on their TV division over and over and over, which is why we never got any extra Babylon 5 until those producers retired mm -hmm. that were in the TV version, t TV division at Warner Brothers. But now we're although, getting... although I would say now, right now things are reversed and mm -hmm. DC's television That's where I was production going. are much, much better. Yeah. Warner than... Brothers had a management changeover on the film side in the mid-90s, and that's the point at which there just haven't been any good DC movies. And you see that happen that basically right around the time they hired Joel Schumacher for Batman Forever, which I liked, and then Batman and Robin sucked. They did get Christopher Nolan, and, uh, so, and then Christopher Nolan ruined everything, mm. um, which is a shame to say because the gritty reboot of Batman that he did was really, really smart. It was very well done. But there were the suits, at, that's industry term for the, the, the people who hire the producers. The suits at Warner Brothers do not have a creative bone in their body right now. And so when they have something that works, they just say, oh, well, let's do more of that. Oh, let's do more of that. Oh, let's do more of that. And a gritty reboot of Batman works because Batman's got that darkness inherent in the story lines and always has. It's also got the camp, but it's always had the darkness. Um, Superman doesn't and never did. Justice League really doesn't and never did. But hey, you know, Zack Snyder did great with Watchmen, which was an Alan Moore comic, which had a lot of darkness in it. So let's give him Justice League. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, the, the, the suits at Warner Brothers in the film division right now haven't got a clue, and so there's no creative unity. And creative unity is what it takes to make a cinematic universe work. And when there is creative unity, they're such cowards that one failure is enough to make them derail a whole program. Mm -hmm. 
Marvel has always had, but and and the other thing is DC as a company has, if I understand the corporate history right, has also not had a sort of unified creative leadership. They they were much more of a managerial type of company, uh, much more like a traditional publisher. Okay. Whereas Marvel always had Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, and a couple other guys, and they produced all of it. A very small creative team that was responsible for everything that came out of Marvel as a comic book company. So every, all the Marvel stuff had a flavor. It was a Marvel before and after it was anything else. And when Disney bought Marvel, someone at Disney, probably was it Bob Iger was in charge. I don't someone up, someone up high at Disney realized that you. They're, they were buying it, and you didn't want to screw with success too much. So they kept that sense of creative unity going on, and they gave it to, um, oh, uh, Dave, was it, no, Dave Filoni's the other guy. Um, anyway, they gave Marvel to a very small creative team that drove the franchise. And... That started to come apart um, towards the end of the Avengers era, and now the Marvel movies are not working so good. Um, so the secret sauce that what makes the Marvel brand work cinematically that is currently screwing the DC brand is the semi-autonomous creative team that actually is allowed the freedom to make the decisions and take the risks. Um, DC doesn't have it, and Marvel did until very recently. And with the DC properties, uh, this this is something that we're seeing in the TV side, is that a lot of the, the DC films that really work are not necessarily DC, but they're um, DC's sub-labels like Vertigo. Because those are the ones where they have short-run graphic novel stories rather than 80-year legacies or, to or work spin-offs with. from the Sandman like Lucifer and stuff like right. that. So, and that's a Vertigo property. Yeah. But the small label DC stuff works really really well in television and in film. And I think that is because of its small creative control and um, tighter stories versus a long legacy. And there's a principle in business that um, the that once once a enterprise of any sort reaches a certain size, it's basically on its deathbed. It can last for decades, but it's basically on its deathbed. And that size happens, that delineation happens when the business grows to a point where it's no longer a dictatorship. Once it becomes a bureaucracy, primarily, mm. as opposed to the bureaucracy supporting a dictator or a small council that is in charge of creativity and strategy. The company is in its decline. Now, it may grow the balance sheet, but it's not going to ever recover the dynamism that it had in its young days. And that's what people call corporatization. We're seeing that happen with Amazon right now as Bezos has stepped away. He's not running the show anymore. Amazon's already starting to fall apart. One of the secrets to the businesses that's, that last a long time and stay very, very vital, assuming that they're not living off government contracts, is that they stay in the close control of the family 
that either founded it or that made it big. With McDonald's, it's the Kroc family. With uh, Walmart, it's the Walton family. With the New York Times, I can't remember the name of the family. But the New York Times is having trouble now because the new generation doesn't actually care about the family business. They're just sort of looting its corpse. And so it's having this major decline in the quality of the work and the credibility and public perception. Mm-hmm. Um, this happened is part of the life cycle of any company. Um, sometimes they pull it back. Sometimes they don't. Um, at the moment, Disney is starting to fall apart that way. Thank God. I mean, whether that's they, terrible. Whether they pull it out again, because they, they did perform a resurrection before when Walt Disney died and Roy Disney, died, uh, Roy Disney quit. I can't remember whether he died or quit first. And, uh, <clears throat> I, well, because there was one point I think he quit and was brought back, but I don't remember my corporate history really well. But uh, then Eisner came over from Paramount and resurrected the, the thing, and we got the Disney Golden Age. But uh, after Eisner left and Iger came in, it's become, it's no longer a dictatorship or a creative force. It's a holding company, and it's thoroughly bureaucratized. And so you see these pockets of creativity, like at Marvel, where there's small autonomous, semi-autonomous groups that are allowed to do things, or like happened with The Mandalorian. But for the most part... The company as a whole is just this lumbering corpse that's thoroughly bureaucratized, and the quality of everything has just started to go down. So, that's how it works. Thank you very much for the question. And uh, the, the moral of the story is, of course, stay creatively engaged with your properties as much as possible. And we'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty McKeon and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners.